Well, welcome everyone. This is Chris Tebbs, president of the California Fire Chiefs Association, and I'm excited today to have our guest, Chief John Bonoski, with us. Uh, John is the chief of the Clovis Fire Department, and as well as our legislative director for Cal Chiefs. And today, um, I've asked John to talk about a bill uh, that he brought forward to Cal Chiefs that we are now working through the legislative process, Senate Bill 577. And we're going to be talking about that bill today. We're going to be talking about the legislative process. But, uh, you know, before we sort of go down that road, uh, John, welcome. Um, maybe you could share a little bit about uh, you, your agency, and your um, your background. Absolutely. President Tubbs, thanks for having me here today. I appreciate the invite, and I appreciate uh, you putting me up for the position of legislative director for uh, Cal Chiefs. I'm not quite sure I knew what I was getting into before I started, but it's been a great adventure so far. So as you stated, I've the, been for the past seven years the fire chief for the city of Clovis. Before that, I was the deputy chief for a couple of years. And then before that, I was a division chief in the city of Tulare. Clovis is in the central California right next to Fresno, six stations, an accredited apartment, and it's been my pleasure to serve the community and the men and women of the Clovis Fire Department. So as you said, we are here for uh, Assembly Bill, or Senate Bill, correction, Senate Bill 577, and yeah. a little bit about it. Yeah, John, and again, I, I really appreciate you joining us today, and on just a, a quick plug for you and your organization, I appreciate the invitation and the ability to participate recently in your uh, process for uh, appointing a, a replacement chief. Great organization. Um, you know, obviously you've, you've had some, some great folks at the top besides yourself, Mike Despain. A lot of people will know Mike, but, uh, really appreciate all the work that you've done, certainly there in the Central Valley. And as you've noted, um, as the ledge director, a very, um, important position. We'll get into talking about that, uh, obviously towards the end of this, uh, very critical for our members. And we'll talk about the whys. But uh, as you said, let's jump into this specific topic of Senate Bill 577. So maybe you start off by telling us about what it is and what the goal of the legislation is. Absolutely. So uh, one of the other fortunate things I've been able to do in my career as chief is I uh, originally when I was deputy chief, I got on to the California uh, Fire State uh, Training and Education Committee, the state committee, which oversees curriculum and curriculum delivery and how the state fire training and education system works in the state of California. After Chief Coleman stepped down as chairman, I got the opportunity to be the chair in uh, 2020. Uh, that January meeting right before COVID and then everything went to Zoom and it wasn't quite like it was with the big meetings with everybody in the same room and stuff. But we're still doing great work. And one of those things that I wound up having to do right when we got into that was uh, reassessing the budget and the fees for state fire training. So how state fire training was formed in 1978 with a small piece of legislation said that the division would be funded by user fees. So it receives no general fund or any other support, and it is required that the fees of the participants fund the budget. And we train, you know, thousands upon thousands, like 10,000 plus certificates a year of, of classes and participants get pushed through that system every year. And we do that on a fee system of $4.9 million. So before 2020, the last time we raised fees was almost 10 years prior. And it's a long process with the state of how it has to go, where it has to go, and the meetings and the hearings and stuff before we can raise fees. So, And you can't put an 
an automatic cost escalator in it. So what winds up happening is, is the division has to borrow from the state legislature general fund, and then we have to raise fees. And then those initial funds from the fees has to go back to pay the loan for the general fund. So um, one of the things I did is uh, chairman of the state committee was, is let's do a true real cost analysis of the division the fees that are collected so we can really figure out what fees uh, make money and you know other ones that seem to be for courses that some small department or some small section of the fire service wanted, but takes a lot of money to maintain. Are we collecting the appropriate amount for the low amount of certs that are required to build and maintain that curriculum? So they contracted with the business division of Sacramento State, and they did the first huge uh, cost analysis of basically all the expenditures and the revenue by certificates of the uh, state fire training. And that then set what we had to determine what we would do for the fees. And really it was kind of an interesting Excel spreadsheet they made is, is as you raised it by $5 here, you could see where the revenue was. And we knew kind of what, because of labor contracts of what the revenue needed to be to maintain just what we had. So you could alter it to get it as close as you possibly could. But then we had to raise a little bit because we knew more money would have to be done and they probably would be changed for another 10 years. And that's how the last fee study occurred and how we implemented the fees then that took effect in 21. The downside is in that 10-year period, we had to raise some fees almost 200%. And that's a lot to ask for people that are in a participating system to pay for the $200 additional. So this is what's brought us to where we are. So I'd say that's the history. So the first thing we kind of looked at and kind of where I looked at, what I brought back to Cal Chiefs was, is, is well, if we ever want to find to some happy medium or some other revenue source, maybe public utility fines, even additional grants through fire uh, U.S., fire administration or something like that, we first have to change the original legislation that established state fire training in 1978. So we have to amend the line about it's 100% funded by user fees. And that's what SB 577 does. It amends two sections that says it still will be, there, it still will be a fee-driven system, but hopefully maybe some fees can be reduced maybe even eliminated, and we can put off fee increases down on the road and you know, maybe not every seven to 10 years, maybe we can do 20 before we have to change the fees again. So this is the first step, which is let's be able to at least receive revenue from somewhere else and put it into state fire training, because right now that can't happen. Um, the only revenue that comes into it is if the state legislature says, and we'll use a good example on it, was is for the protection of cattle and uh, livestock. They wanted some safety course developed to give out to the ag commissioners to be able to help ranchers be able to go into where the fire was potentially going, remove their livestock um, ahead, ahead of the fire or kind of post where the fire went through. They funded that course delivery uh, development from the state legislature. And then we turned that course over to the ag commissioners. So there is a little bit about 1% of these, of the 4.9 million. So to train all of California firefighters to build the curriculum, send out the certificates, do everything we do, runs on a $4.9 million budget. Not nearly what it is. You compare that to post, which is the police officer standards and training, that's $165 million. So we're not even getting 
Well, and, and uh, you know, I would add to that, and certainly, you know, through conversations we've had offline, the program when it originated in 1978 was uh, probably much more limited as far as the diversity of courses was compared to where it is today. And not to mention, as we know, you know, over the decades, the fire service has evolved and uh, our standards have changed. Our best practices have changed as a result of what we've known. So the requirements in many of these areas have increased or new ones have come into play, which then, as you have said, you know, that has further strained a system that has been really restricted based on sort of what was created many, many years ago. And and it strikes me in all of this, you know, you sort of touched on a little bit is that um, as user fee goes up, it, you know, it's one thing to say for an, an agency, maybe in a suburban or urban area, how those costs can be sort of incorporated, whether it's strictly on the employee or it's a match from the employee and the employer or the employer's picking them up. But we have a lot of agencies, as we know in the state, that are volunteer or combination and funding is exceedingly limited for uh, those organizations, yet they are also required um, to have these certifications and trainings as well. Well, let's first take start off for back in 1978. When they entered this for a fee-driven system, there was three whole certificates. It was a firefighter, it was a driver operator, and it was an officer, and mostly it was more for like a chief officer, but they called it an officer. Those are the only three certificates that there was. I would probably say at that point, well over half of California didn't even participate because it is a voluntary program. So they never even did it because a lot of the state still was protected by Cal Fire. Cal Fire had their own little firefighter certificate. I don't even think it was the 67 at hour one at that point. It was something less than that. That's what they gave their uh, entry-level people. So it was a very small system when it started. Compared to today that we do 23,000 cert- uh, you know, certificates, course completion, or certifications a year out of the system. Um we do 160 different courses, 26 different certification level, uh, level levels, like uh, driver operator, company officer, chief officer, fire chief um, of those different certification levels. So the system has dramatically expanded. And part of that is, is our local government's mission that don't necessarily exist at anywhere close in the 80s like they do in 2020s is our mission into the wildland urban interface. So we've had to incorporate all those NWCG courses or our own spin on those NWCG courses to make them California centric because our fires are different than, you know, a wildland fire in Oklahoma and be able to offer those courses to be able to make sure we have a well-trained, safe uh, wildland firefighting force that comes from local government. Volunteers are a big one there. This is where do they get their funding source? How do they pay for those individuals who are trying to give back to their community and then have to pay a fee to get trained to volunteer to help their own community? I mean, to me, that sounds a little ridiculous. If it's your career, you're a career firefighter and you want to advance in it, okay, a little bit of the fee, I completely understand. Um, but if you're here trying to say, hey, I want to help out my local community being volunteer, but I'll, by the way, you got to pay $125 for each course. Well, I don't necessarily know that's a, you know, a part that we should be asking those people. The other portion of it is lots of departments require people to have a accredited fire academy before they come into the fire service. Well, by charging it, and we unfortunately have to charge a large amount of the fee to that group because they generate the most amount of certificates. So for us, no matter how we play with all the numbers, 
to generate 4.9 million, we have to keep that fee at the higher level that it is because there's just no other way to generate the 4.9 million. I mean, there's not that many people, even if we took the fee to $2,000 to be a certified fire chief, it still wouldn't generate that much money per year. Um, so we have to do those entry level positions and we have to generate that money. Well, for people that are in socially economic uh, areas and places like that, getting all the money together for the certificates, the FSTEP certificates that the academy requires, the material fees, even if the college waves through their program of the units for the fire academy that's ran through a community college, they still have to pay those fees. And part of where we'd like to go is, is later is, of course, we have to change so we can actually get some funds. But really part of one of the goals is, is to try to reduce the barriers to both sworn, which would be the firefighter one and two, and non-sworn, the entry fire prevention and uh, defensible space certificates for the people that are interested in the fire service, but not a sworn position, and be able to reduce, if not eliminate, that entry-level fee. So what specifically, you know, when when person pays a fee, what specifically is that paying for? And to sort of referencing, you know, your comment back to post where law enforcement, a lot more funding available. If we were able to move that from 4.9 to 10 million, what would that mean? Well, you got to remember post when it started was designed to improve the training and education of police officers and um, how that money was originally funded where it didn't come from the general fund was it was on ticket traffic fines. Well, unfortunately, traffic fines have diminished. The amount of people paying has diminished. So it has required the general fund now to make up the difference. So they did about five, six years ago, have to come back to the general fund instead of it being a complete separate type of revenue source. um, I have to ask for that money. Now, if you look at where we are, is there is, 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 First thing we need to do, in my opinion, and part of where that fund would go to is, is we need to work, if we want to maintain to be accredited um, with Pro Board and IFSEC, we have to improve our quality assurance. So we're basically mirroring the courses to match NFPA, which is what Pro Board wants, those JPRs and the uh, pieces within the uh, NFPA system. But then we're allowing instructors to build their own PowerPoints to do their own things and to make sure they're teaching the hours. We need to, as state fire training, be able to go out, hire more people to be able to go audit, review, and confirm that those are being delivered to the high standards that state fire training is set and meets NFPA standards and in turn to be able to maintain our accreditation. So that's the first one is, is we, it's a very big state, <laughs> the state of California. It's a very diverse state. We really don't ha- have enough. If you remember back, they kind of started them with some regional state fire training people about they were going to launch that in about nine or 2015 or so, they were going to have like four or five regional state fire representatives that would go check in with the local fire academies, watch some course delivery, kind of even teach some of the courses and like Rio and the instructor locally. And it just never, unfortunately, got off the ground because we were spending more than we had. We were having to borrow. So those positions kind of got vacant and then they never got filled. Positions are starting to be filled in state fire training, which is great, but we need more than what's budgeted and where we need to go. So we need more positions to process your uh, certifications and stuff in a timely manner, modernize the system so more of it's digital, digital payments, all sorts of stuff like that, which takes IT work, which takes specialized people 
And then we need to put more boots on the ground to verify and um, do what we want to do. That's like the first phase. And then the second phase would be we need to get more courses accepted and brought over to ProBoard and IFSEC. So start the instructor series, start driver operator, then move ourselves to the company officer and start those uh, and probably prevention to get all of those certified. But we don't, we can't do it unless we improve and have more of a quality assurance and have more boots on the ground to be able to um, implement and do the capstone testing. So um, again, coming back to sort of, if I am uh, a firefighter and I go to take a course, let's say that course costs me $125. What is that paying for? That pays for the course development and the uh, three-year or five-year update through NFPA to make sure it's matching the JPRs. It uh, takes care of the course processing for the course delivery, making sure the instructor is certified, they paid for the payments, and then um, the process of the books, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously not paying for any support of the staff at, at State Fire Service training or anything like that. This is really... Uh, well, it is. So part of that whole staff is there because it's fee-based. So yeah. part of yours is going into the office manager. Part of you is going to the postage to send that packet or the email support system to send that packet to the instructor. Part of it's the uh, the annual fee for the ACADA system, which is kind of like the online transcript portion where you can see your certificate stuff. Well, that comes with a fee. That's a private vendor. Uh, if you're in the Firefighter 1 Part of that fee goes to, or Firefighter 2, goes to the test bank for the hazmat fro, the wildland portion, and the Firefighter 1 and 2 uh, test questions. Because we have to have a test bank, it has to be uh, outside. It can't be for the security of it for us to get pro board certification. And that will move also then to driver operator the same way. We'll be an outside vendor for the testing process. But our fees pay for the whole kit and caboodle. And I believe there's even a line for the utilities, the office space, all the computers. I mean, basically everything, the fax machine that's probably still there, we're, we're paying for out of that. So even though it's got a CAL FIRE patch to the employees, a sub portion of it, it receives really no CAL FIRE funding. It is 100% the fees come in. That's what we have to spend. So with Senate Bill 577, I think, as you mentioned earlier, the bill isn't providing a funding source. It's providing a gateway for other potential funding sources beyond the user fees. Is that correct? Yes, this is like step one. Before right. we can do anything else, we've got to at least allow the legislation to say we can go find another funding source. Whether or not that could be some money from OES to put classes on, utility fines. I mean, there's a, a cap and trade. I mean, there, there's an unlimited amount of fees and stuff that the state has. And for us to ask for a few million dollars of it to come. But we also understand that, you know, the state is um, seeing a reduction in revenue. and But they also last year had an increase in revenue. But we didn't. We can never come back to those years that are good till we fix the legislation. So we're not saying that we think that there's going to be anything this year or next year. But we want the opportunity for when there is an increased revenue for the fire service to say, "Hey, here we are." And the other aspect to that is is that we are participating heavily into the wildland portion of the state. That maybe through the wildland funding that's already existing, that's been allocated, if we could change this legislation, some of that would come in to waive the fees for those training courses 
for, you know, like, especially the base of what S190, S290, it's pretty much required for the firefighter, the driver operator position to be out for, to put actual engines to wildland fires that we could waive some of those fees. Um, if we got money from the wildland uh, funds that have already been distributed. So, so which committee does this bill end up going uh, before first? We went to the government affairs in the Senate. We uh, successfully, with uh, no opposition, left the uh, the government affairs. And because they feel we're putting our nose under the tent on uh, some, they you know. The, they know someday we're coming with our handout, even though we've kind of told them this year, not right away. We just want to fix the legislation, but they know where it's going. We went to the Senate Appropriations Committee. The Senate Appropriation Committee uh, heard our bill along with a whole bunch of other ones on Monday. And then they put us into the suspense file, which is where we knew we'd go till May. And then uh, they will hear, uh, they will come with, a, we anticipate, come with a whole group of them, and then they'll pass them out of there at once. Um as it gets closer to them developing the budget. So it's basically where they kind of parked us for the month or like the next three weeks, why they start listening to the governor and the formation of the budget. Then they'll roll these out. We've made it very clear to them that there's no money tied to it. We're just asking for the legislation, but they're afraid that somewhere we are going to ask for the money. So they put us in suspense for uh, the appropriation bill, which is perfect. I mean, we left their, uh, I think it was eight to zero, no opposition again to go into suspense. The whole, you know, almost everything on the day went suspense or was voted down. So that was the best case scenario. That's where we're at. We hope to come out of the Senate, go there, go to the Senate floor for a vote, and it'll probably be packaged with a whole bunch of items at once for the Senate to vote on. And then it'll take us over to the Assembly and we'll go to the Government Affairs or Appropriation Committee there. And then hopefully we come out of there. Yeah. And then to the governor's desk by September. Uh, is there any sense that this um, will not proceed and ultimately be successful? I mean, is there any concern for that? Or do you feel pretty confident about this piece of legislation? I'm like a 50-50. It's nice not having opposition, but behind the curtain, there's always opposition to a potential bill that allows us to ask for money. Right. So um, that's really the part that no one's ever going to say from the legislature or come out and say, but there's always the concern that they know what is and not having a dollar amount tied to it. But what puts them a little bit ease when we say all of state fire trainings on 4.9 million, they kind of go, all right, well, if we had to fund the whole thing, it's really $5 million. So, you know, and we sit there and I say that as $5 million, but you're talking about a budget that's, you know, north of $500 billion. So it's not like it's, you know, it's that much to them. So it's not like we're supposed to ask them for 165. So, and we need another revenue source. So we've kind of, I think, put people's mind at ease, but it is a sales job. We have to go around to senators and explain to them what we're trying to do and where we are. And that's why we chose the two-pronged approach that I think no matter what, we should be successful, hopefully, on getting the legislation language to at least allow us. Whether or not we're ever in the next two-year bill cycle able to get money, that's a whole other subject. But please, when you see the things come out that says, we need your letters of support, chiefs, please have your either yourself, your administrative assistants, the firefighter at the station, whatever it takes to fill out that uh, template, send it in. They want to see your department logo at the top, and that's what they want to see, and they want to see 50 or 100 of those letters because it really speaks volumes of that we're in support. So spend the five, 10 minutes and send one in for every one of those because it really, truly helps to the committee when we're trying to get through committees. 
Well, well, before we sort of jump into, I, I mean, this is almost a great segue to talk about the legislative piece. I know we want to spend a couple minutes talking about that for our audience so they, you know, sort of have a little bit more behind the curtain um, look and what, why this is important. Anything else on 577 that we've not addressed you think it's important for the membership to know about? No, I think the main thing for the uh, membership is as part of the goal is to try to find another way so we don't have to come back now in 2028 and say we need another you know 100 or 200 percent increase on the fees. Even if you're a career firefighter, we want to try to limit those increases and reduce them. We also want to try to reduce the cost and limit the rate uh, rate increases for those entry level positions. I mean, that's really at the end of the day, we want to pass it this legislation so we get the opportunity then to say, let's look at some other ways and some other funding to be able to stop this continuous 10 year, 100 or 200 percent increase on the fees. And that's really what the goal is. And then to try to put some more money into it to modernize and bring us into uh, matching a little bit more of like Texas and Florida. I mean, Texas and Florida spend three, four times. Teeks in Florida or in Texas runs almost $17 million for what they put out there. We're running the state of California on 4.9. I mean, it's, you know, put it together. And then if you look in Ocala, Florida, what they spend there, they spend more in our budget than just what they do on their state fire academy. So we're grossly underfunded of what we're putting into state fire training. That has put the responsibility on all of us on local government for our own departments to pick up that cost, our own departments put on that training. And if we want to be part of that full state master mutual aid system, somewhere the state needs to give us a little bit of a hand to help out. Yeah, which which again, I mean, they think I think you're really teeing up this uh, next point about legislation and, and its importance. Um, and, and obviously this is one of the, the purposes and certainly one of the priorities for, for Cal Chiefs is, is to be involved in the legislation. Uh, you know, the analogy I would use, cause I use it in my own local agency is we have a choice to be in a driver's seat or the passenger seat. And in some ways of the legislation, we're not in the driver's seat per se, but we're also not sitting in the trunk, right? Or in the back seat with no control at all. We're trying to. I think we're more in the back seat, but we're just trying to at least get the, we're in the kind of like the backseat drivers reaching over, trying to drive the car right. and keep us going the straight, narrow lane that we're trying to go we're, in. We're trying <laughs> That's to how I perceive us. <laughs> trying to influence the driver for sure. Exactly. And, uh, you know, again, as you and I know, um, that is, that is very critical for us in California, especially with um, the different pieces of legislation, whether we're talking about EMS, whether we're talking about training, whatever the topic will be, these things have a direct effect on us as agency. And, we, you know, we're, we're a very diverse service across the state from everywhere from urban to, you know, rural and volunteer. And those, those have effects differently in those agencies, but they're all critical. And, and uh, you know, I'll sort of kick off this discussion by sharing with uh, the audience that, you know, this last December, we had, as you know, we teed up our joint legislative meeting with California Professional Firefighters Association, with FDAC, uh, with uh, CSDA, the California Special Districts Association. And the idea was, let's all come together. Let's talk about what our legislative uh, priorities are, the things we see coming down the road that we want to be involved in. And coming out of that, as, as you know, you were there, um, was I think everyone felt uh, a kind of a unique energy. It's like, wow, the commonality between our priorities this year is um, remarkable. And by virtue of that, it gives us an opportunity to, to be working together collectively 
versus maybe sitting on, you know, the different side of an issue, uh, especially, you know, if we have to go to a hearing where you got CPF in one position, you got Cal Chiefs in another. Um, maybe can you, for our folks, talk a little bit about, since you're the, our ledge director, you know, you're right there on the front row. You work with, with uh, Russ and Julie uh, at PPA, our, our ledge and policy folks. Talk a little bit about, from your perspective, why you think uh, the legislation is so important, how we can be um, effective uh, at it, and why Cal Chiefs is sort of, why, what's Cal Chiefs' role? Why are we involved in it? Why is that so important? And ultimately, how do members connect to this? How, what is the best way for them to engage, especially in things that may involve them? Well, I think the first thing that we did, which is under your leadership, President Tubbs, is when we moved the Cal Chief strategic planning meeting from it being in the early spring, you know, February, March into the fall, into October for us. So it kind of let us say, hey, this is what our priorities are. This is what we want to do. And then that kind of set us up for the task force meeting, which then said, where do we want to do that is aligned with others? Um, and then I didn't realize there were so many little deadlines for legislation of pieces um about the legislative uh analyst's office legislative council pieces like that that actually have to be done in january so without us moving everything back it was very difficult for us to get bills that we really felt were important to the fire service for us to do so i think what everybody's got to realize is is you know when you pay your dues to be a member of cal chiefs there's so many different things that go on you know there's portions of it for training there's portions of it for uh that we unfortunately spend for litigation there's uh the conference but a large portion of that is really us trying to decipher and assist and protect the california fire service and take it to the future. So the legislature in middle of January into February this year uh, puts bills together. And between the Senate and the Assembly, there was over 2,000 bills. So we got to go through those and look at 2,000 bills. And some of them have absolutely no wording in them. It's just what they call a spot bill. There's a name. It's attached to a assembly member or senator, and it's blank. Will be filled in later once uh, they figure out the cause of what they want to take on. And they're used to basically use later um, down the cycle, but it has a number. It's been through the process in the beginning, and they can convert that to a two-year bill. So that's why they do it that way. Um, but we have to go through this, and it takes time to go through. And we basically then decide about 200 or so bills actually pertain to the fire service. And then we've got to go look at. So we sit here and say, so that's us looking at 200 bills over here. So of what other people have put together and put in that we have to monitor, we have to look at and we have to talk about it. truly for that group. You decided to, you know, talked about with the league, special district, CPF, us, there's probably only 10 to 15 bills that we have sponsored that we have put forward or asked a state senator or assembly member to bring forward. So Really what we're, in the, and I call those the driver's seat ones. Those are the ones that we're trying to drive. We ask the legislature, here's our issue. This is how we'd like to see it get corrected. What can we do? And that's the ones we're in the driver's seat. The other 200 bills, we're in the back and we're seat and we're trying to reach over and says, hey, hold on a minute. These are the unattended consequences or sounds great. So uh, you know, what we were talking about was assembly uh, bill 944, which is the required generators at every fire station by 2026. The, legis the author of that bill, there's about 38 million or so in some funding at the federal and state level, believes that's enough to solve the problem, which in no way should it be. And in turn, they expect us to have 96 hours of fuel on hand. 
Bless you. So that being said, of the 96 hours, well, lots of cities have like a generator fuel tender. They bring it over. Other ones have constant supply from uh, natural gas. The bill doesn't account for that. And then what do you do for the small rules? Like you said, California is very diverse, but we need to look out for all the fire service. So what do you do with the small rule fire station that doesn't have staff there 24 hours a day? It's really a place to train. It's got a bathroom and it's got a place to have some equipment. The cost to put that generator in, depending if it's in an air pollution board district area, get the permitting and everything else, without some funding source, it's an unrealistic expectation for them to be able to do it. So what we wind up doing from the backseat is, is, hey, great idea. And they're mirroring it after skilled nursing facilities because that's the requirement on skilled nursing facilities. So they think, well, skilled nursing facilities have it. We should have it. And then as they kind of take it, the p- potential power shutoffs in the wildland is another reason why they think that bill is important. So the underlying reasoning makes a lot of sense. It's just our job is to work through implementation and the cons- consequences of going right or left. And I say, that's where we're in the backseat, trying to drive the bus, say, hey, here's where we want to go. Let's keep it straight instead of going left or right. And a lot of those bills, same with a lot of them, probably is where the fire prevention officers do a great job. You know, the 50 bills they look at from teeny homes, the sprinklers, to all these different in- outside influences for builders of the cost and pieces like that of holding our ground. I mean, still sprinklers are attacked every year by outside influences and we have to put up that fight to say here's a you know these are bad ideas and then the other aspect of where we are with legislation that you've seen over the years is just as we talk about 201 rights and pieces like that on the ems side and even when we do get legislation passed we think oh okay we got it passed here we go We've unfortunately been taken to court and the judges overruled what was put in the legislation and we're back to where we were. So now we did all the heavy lifting to get it passed by the legislature. Then we had to spend some county's money to go to court. And then at the end, we're back here. So now we're having to pass another piece of legislation to try to fix what the court said. So uh, legislation is not all it's cracked up to be as the you know cure for all. The court system isn't the cure for all. And really what the we're really trying to do is the, you know, boards of the chief officers here, the Cal chiefs is see what we can do in regulations and see if we can change it more at the lowest level possible, which is regulations. I don't necessarily know we're going to be successful either at the rate it's going and how slow it is to move some of those things. But that is really where we are and the importance of your dues and what we do and the hours we spend calling and doing people. I mean, President Tubbs spends hours upon hours every week at meetings, uh, legislatures, meetings for a fire scope, meetings with the special districts, everybody out there to get our message out there. I'm meeting with the uh, Russ and Julie from PPA, PPA, which is kind of our lobbyist, which helps us because they know everybody. They know the process. I'm a fire chief. I don't know the process of how bills go. What did the suspense? I was all paranoid on 577 when they said we're going to suspense. I'm like, oh, great. It's just going to die here. Here we go. No, no. Hold on a minute. This is how it goes. It'll sit here until May. And then we're pretty sure it'll move out from there. We'll talk to the you know chair, Chairman Dodd, and we'll get it figured out. Okay, their relationships are invaluable, and that's what you know. We unfortunately have to pay for that, but we out of our dues. But that is an, a money well spent every single time. And I don't think that chiefs and boots on the ground and people understand the amount of time energy that we put in to make sure that we're protecting the fire service, trying to make the fire service better. And that's what legislation is. So you'll see a lot of stuff that we kind of come across as support if amended. And just to explain support if amended is, is it sounds better than opposed. So it's really, we don't like it. 
It's just we've told you how we could fix it to like it. So it's the middle ground of supportive amended. But truly, when you see that, know that we're really not in favor of the bill. We're just trying to get the author to change the bill. And then maybe we'll come along with some support. But at the end of the day, I think so far, Cal Chiefs has actually put their support behind like 20 bills so far, maybe 25 bills. Then that comes to the executive board at their once a month meeting. And it comes first from the legislative task force, which has the EMS committee on it, the fire uh, prevention officers, the training officers, mechanics, administrators, uh, ops, and all those people who then have looked at bills and stuff that comes to there to make a recommendation to both the fire districts and Cal chiefs boards to support or oppose. And then it's the two boards who actually determine what our legislative position is. I know that's a lot about legislation in there. And uh, I'm actually kind of speaking more passionate about it because I didn't realize what I got into it, but it's been a very educational process. And I thought I knew a lot from being on the league board for years, but being the actual one person at the tip with Russ, it's been definitely much more interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, John, and, and the, the work that you do, you know, can't be understated. Obviously, um, the stuff is not done in a vacuum and, and the president's spot couldn't possibly do the heavy lifting uh, that you're doing as the ledge director. That's why we have that position. Um, you help you through PPA, you guys help look at what's coming down the road uh, outside of the things that we either you know have sponsored or supporting because of other partner agencies or partner associations have asked us to, but but constantly assessing as you noted all of these other bills, two thousand bills about hey, is there anything in here that's going to harm the fire service? Is there anything here that's going to help the fire service? Then, then, then compiling that and then bringing it forward for the executive board to assess and ultimately weigh in on and say, yeah, so from a policy level, here's a direction that we want to go legislatively. And we, and, and we can't, we couldn't do that without you, without Russ and Julie and Tony doing that important work for us. And we've been very blessed, you know, not only in, in having you in that position, certainly Ted Peterson, you know, as, as a predecessor doing that work, that position is so critical to, to Cal Chiefs. Most of us as fire chiefs, you know, we're not we're not able to spend or we don't spend the time constantly watching what is going on, you know, in Sacramento and tracking all of those bills and 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 engaging in that way. And that's in my mind, that certainly is part of the value of this association. And like, we- Chris, can I say something about that is, yeah. is when we do put out that list and that list is out there. I strongly encourage people to look through there or, you know, if their city has concerns about there and then reach out to us. So it helps if we know what other people have seen. So if your fire marshal has seen bills that has concerns with them is to reach out to the Cal Chiefs fire prevention officers or myself or somebody to say, hey, here's the concerns of this bill or here's this one. Have you seen this one? Because I'll be honest, there's a lot of them. Do we know the position on all of them, what they possibly could have. So having other eyes and other people on there and then setting those up through the proper, you know, it's EMS going through the EMS committee and the fire prevention office, wherever that might be, and highlighting those that come back to the task force is huge, is is that, you know, don't rely on the task force thinking that they're going to catch them all or have your, what's good for your jurisdiction, your jurisdiction's uh, point of view or perspective of it. 
please reach out to make sure we include all those so we know where everybody stands. Absolutely. And it really speaks to, you know, another initiative that we have underway, and that's probably a podcast uh, for itself. But we've been recording it in the monthly president's message, the e-blast that goes out. And that's the work of our task uh, group that has been working on uh, whether you want to call it reorganization or refining organizational structure that came out of our um, planning meeting last year, recognizing that um, our vision as an association is to be the voice of the California Fire Service. And we've got great folks across the entire association in our different sections. And as we have reflected over the years, there's opportunities to improve that communication and collaboration and it goes specifically, uh, not only to, but specifically in our discussion to legislation, right? If our FPO group, our FPO section are working on certain things, we want to ensure that we are um, up to speed, engaged and educated and aware so that as these things um, ultimately shape in legislation one way or the other, we have the pulse of our FPO group. We know what the impact of that legislation will be so that we can advocate, whether that's on the plus or the minus side of the legislative <laughs> process, but collectively we can live into that vision of being a voice of the California Fire Service. The e-board does not live in a vacuum, but we have to rely on all of our sections and all of the members in those sections and that feeding upstream, much like in your own department. You know, the prevention division does not operate in a silo off on their own. Uh, they are part of a bigger picture of the fire department as an agency. Um, so I, I agree, and I, I echo those comments as well. And again, I think you help the membership uh, by the information that you do provide out there to all of us with regards to here are the bills, here's what we're supporting, here's what we're opposing, here's what we're supporting if amended, those kinds of things. And we certainly try to push that out through our, our e-blast. But how members help us is by at least reading those. We don't, we don't expect you to get onto the ledge website every day, but read those, provide us the feedback to your point. You know, here's a concern I have, or here's an issue you may not have thought of that we think we're going to need to address. And if, if we can't address it this year, strategically, we put it into the, the long-term map. Is it next year? Is it the year after? Because there's as much about strategy in our legislation as there is about just simply reviewing and determining what position is. When is it appropriate to bring a bill forward? We've got some bills this year, which I'm mean, this being one of them, right, that doesn't have any funding attached to it. Had we done it two or three years ago, there would have been plenty of funding to go after it. Right. And, um, you know, so we think about those things as as well. But uh, again, I, I can't. I can't thank you and Russ and Julie and Tony en enough for the work that you guys do that helps us as an association not only assess, you know, what is in the pipeline, but how do we how do we engage in that pipeline from things that we want to bring forward uh, as well. And again, as you know, we've got a number of EMS bills again this year. Uh, we had a hearing last week for uh, Chief Hamilton's bill 1168 in the Health Committee. We have another one coming up uh, this next week for AB40, which is the APOT, uh, Ambulance Patient Offload Times, which is a critical issue for a lot of agencies in the state of California. So to your point, this is why uh, I think the association is so important. The work that we do is so important and, and why we need membership engagement. It's 
it's a team effort all the way across. It really is. And people need to be engaged. They need to know who their area directors are for Cal Chiefs so they can reach out and talk to them and get additional information and make sure they're on their e-blast from them to be able to get updates from the area directors. You need to go out and, you know, be able to look at the bills we highlight and say, hey, do these affect you? What are they? And the other part people need to remember is there's a lot of these bills not, you know, especially in the wildland arena, there was money attached to them, but the money came later when the rules came. So the legislature didn't make the rules. They just said, here's kind of the goal and here's the pot of cash. And then state workers then made the rules of the guidelines for the grants or pieces like that. So if they're out there where they are, you're having difficulty, it's not meeting your needs. These are things we need to hear so we can then have our experts like Russ, Julie, and Tony and them go back to them and says, hey, we need to change this because we're not you know, we're disproportionately not getting the funds we'd rightfully deserve. So even, you know, even those things that you think, hey, I can't do anything about it. Yeah, we can. We can go back there. And if it does require us to amend the original legislation, we can. So this is how the system works is, is that you got to get involved. We're here as one united voice of the fire service. And we've definitely over the past, you know, three or four presidents of Cal Chiefs has brought that as a united voice across multiple different groups within the uh you know, the same goal of CPF, league, uh, special districts, FDAC, and tried and, you know, CFSA, bring that group together so we speak as one voice. And that's what we want to continue to do. So uh, it's been my pleasure. We'll see how the rest of the, you know, really the committee hearing started like three weeks ago or the beginning of April or end of March. And, you know, the real fun begins and we'll see where it goes between now and then they'll take their June recess or July recess. And then we'll come into the August crazy time to finish it up and we'll see what lands on the governor's desk for September. Then we just need to see what he actually signs. So, you know, that's the we're coming into the sprint and then a little lull and then the sprint to the finish line. So uh, it should be a fun summer. Well, John, again, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. Um, well, thank you, know, you. Not only the info on Senate Bill 577, but, you know, really what what is this legislative, you know, piece of work that we do and why is it important? But uh, in closing, I, you know, I sort of turn it back over to you. Is there, you know, any final thoughts or anything that we haven't talked about that you think is important for, you know, our folks to hear about? No, I think Cal Chiefs has a really good team of, you know, paid professionals. It's got a really good team with uh, Chief Metzen as our executive director. The past presidents, the current and, you know, the president-elect has a good vision of where we're going. I think we've cleaned up a lot of our processes and um, things that we've done to streamline it, to make it more efficient. And at the end of the day, the... Uh, you know, the organization's going in the right direction. We're trying to get involved more. We're trying to do the right thing. And that helps the membership. And we're hoping the membership wants to get more involved. And in turn, we grow the organization stronger and better day by day. Couldn't agree more. And I, again, John, I really appreciate you taking time today and, and uh, look forward. I'm sure there will be another uh, podcast as we yeah. do an update for everyone, all things sure. legislation after the July recess. So again, thank you very much. Chris, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for a job well done. So you've done excellent as the president. I couldn't say more. Wow. Thank you, John. I really appreciate that. No problem. Hey, Thank you. You, have, you all have a great day. And we look forward to uh, reconnecting on our next podcast. Thank you.